Um, but what I'm trying to work through is realizing and recognizing that my mom has enough really significant trauma associated with her growing up years and mm. with being Mexican and with drinking goat blood. Well, and like with what that meant in, you know, the late 60s, early 70s yeah. and the 80s in San Antonio. Shit, what it means now. Yeah. And so there was so much pain associated with that. Something I'm trying to work on is understanding and recognizing that there are these big gaps that will never be filled mm. because it is genuinely traumatizing to her to have to go back mentally. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of La Mezcla. My name is Adrian Burke, the creator and host of the show. Thank you so much for tuning into it. Uh, I'm uh, so excited to have another episode for you. Trying to get these out more consistently. Sorry, life is crazy, and I am, as always, very, very broke. And considering making a Patreon for this show, if anybody listens to this, would you would you give to a Patreon to keep the show existing? That's something I'm toying with. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop making this my inner monologue and continue on to the rest of the show. Our guest this week, and I'm so excited to have her on the show, uh, our guest is the wonderful, wonderful Lizzie Anna Lincoln. Uh, Lizzie is uh, an actor, improviser, and a producer. Please hire her to produce your shit. Uh, she's originally from Austin, Texas. She is the founder of The Paper Crane, which is a super dope semi-monthly show uh, at the Crane Theater in the East Village. It's been running since 2016. They put up new works. If you're an artist who's uh, hungry to put up some new shit on stage, but you're not really sure how it's going to work yet, this is the show to submit to. Uh, Lizzie is super, super awesome. We talked about growing up in Texas uh, with her Mexican heritage and the blend with her American upbringing. We talked about moving to New York uh, and the art scene here. Uh, lots of really, really good shit. And we talked a lot about her show, uh, The Paper Crane. So uh, please uh, enjoy this episode with Lizzie and Lincoln. We should be piping out of an old, an old radio. Kind of. Is that is that an aesthetic that you're into? Uh, yeah. When my grandpa died, uh, we had given him a collection of fifty Bob Hope radio show cassettes. Whoa! And he never got like he never even opened them. He died. We gave him to him for Christmas. He died in January, and so I just put those in my little play school cassette player. Every night when I went to sleep, I would just flip them. Whoa. So That's mad, like, American. That's, like, the most American thing American. I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, on my little, like, multicolored play school plastic. Bob, Bob Hope is one of those references that, like, I don't really get. I know he's, like, mad significant. Oh, but people I, shouldn't. I can't say that I've seen one Bob Hope thing. People our age, I don't think, should have to know who Bob Hope is. It was fair, just for, like, fair. personal feelings reasons. Totally, totally. Um, the... Road pictures, if you ever get a chance, are horrible relics of American neo-imperialism. The road pictures? Yeah, what like road to Bali, road oh, to wherever. Oh, right, yeah, so yeah. They're all deeply racist I and very remember these. atonal. They're like USO tours, right? Kind of. I mean, they were films. They were... Got it, got it. Pictures that had a loose narrative with him and Bing Crosby just like... <laughs> 
doing things. Yeah, not my not. Usually, like Hedy Lamarr or Carol Lombard would be in them. Okay, okay, I recognize those names. My mom is kind of a, a movie buff. Definitely was more when I was like a kid. So mm-hmm. she, I remember, like when I was like nine, she made me watch um, uh, Bicycle Thieves. What the Italian neorealist movie? That's amazing. I was like ten, and I was like, Mom, what is this shit? It's just like it's black and white cultured. people not talking and like looking for a bicycle for two hours. And she was like, "This is art. <laughs> this is what it is." Uh, but I grew to really love that movie. My mom uh, hums three songs. One is Cielito Lindo. Mm. One is I want to say it's like a top forty from the sixties. And then the other thing she hums is the t- the theme from The Godfather. And she'll like whistle the theme from The Godfather just constantly while she's cooking. <laughs> so when I was like 12 or 13, she was like, it's time. We're watching The Godfather. So we just sat down oh, yeah. and binged all it's of The Godfather. classic. God- my family loves The Godfather. Well, which doesn't make any sense because my mom. Uh, oh, my God. I'm blanking on the name of the song. Something of Gold. Right? It's Probably. Ennio, it's Ennio Morricone. Right? The composer? Yes. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what it's called. I just know. That means that we're cooking or cleaning. <laughs> mom is... <laughs> That's your association. Oh, yeah. No, if, if the theme from The Godfather is piping out of my mother, then it's, we're working. <laughs> it's piping out of my mother. It's just a constant loop. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, cool. Hi, hi. Hi. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. <laughs> let's, uh, we've been recording for a while. Uh, so let's uh, start how I start them all. Um, just introduce yourself to my mom's friends mm. uh, and give us your uh, little background on your mix and like who you are as a human. Amazing. Your whole deal my right now. My whole thing. Go. Um, <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Lizzie Anna Lincoln. I am a human from Texas. Well, okay, I was born in Michigan, raised in Texas, living in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my dad is a an Anglo-mutt, uh, predominantly German, uh, if not by ethnicity, then by character. Um, my, my, what makes you say that? My paternal grandmother's side of the family was extreme like super strong personalities okay and so uh the joke for a long time has been they're just very german like the organization and the obsessive cleaning and the commitment to like a completely rigid and unflexible lifestyle is like very german all right um according to sounds very german it it was a lot uh and then my uh dad's dad was Irish, English, Welsh, yada, yada. Uh-huh. Uh, and then on my mom's side, uh, the family is from San Luis Potosí in Mexico. Okay. Um, there's an apocryphal story about how my grandparents met. Um, but I've, I've never met my... Did you say ap- apocryphal? Yeah, it not necessarily recognized as true. Can but... I be super honest with you for a second? I've, I'm mad intimidated <laughs> by your vocabulary. Uh, that was my superpower <laughs> in elementary school. Your vocabulary like freaks me in a great way. I'm just like, holy shit, I really need to read more. Uh, there was a, uh, a kid who we were enemies in kindergarten and we became uh, like we respected each other as if not allies, then at least there was like a detente. Um, in, See, detente. In, we're, we're throwing out detente <laughs> casually now. In uh, high school, he would turn around to me every day and say, what's the word of the day? And I would say, Devin, the word of the day oh, is this. Oh, you were that kid. I was unfortunately that we kid. We definitely had word of the day kids too yeah then awesome. that was that was exactly my brand um i did not meet my maternal grandfather he died when my mom was super super young okay which theoretically corresponds with my mom moving to the u.s when she was like five or six it was either right before okay. or right after he died um something i have a lot of not regret that's like the wrong word but frustration about is mm-hmm. I kind of don't know 
a lot of the things about that side of the family. Like I know we're from Potosi. I know my mom went back annually for some period of time. I know mm-hmm. she has a horrible memory of a goat being like butchered for them when they came home because like they're home. And then she just watched as the goat was hanging upside down with like the slit across its neck as the blood drained into a Yeesh. bowl. And then they gave her the bowl of blood after they had cooked it. Wow. Which is like a delicacy. And they were like, here, like, Argelia, this is for you. And she was like, mm, yes, goat blood. Excellent. How old was she at this point in time? Probably like somewhere between, if I had to like guess. Like a teenager? Like, or? Uh, a little younger, probably like eight or ten Jesus Christ yeah <laughs> Jesus but Christ but they were a farming people so yeah. they assumed like you'll be fine with That's, this uh, say the name of the town again uh, in San Luis in Potosi okay so it's do you know where geographically that is I'm not super I've looked familiar it up with a few times. Geography. it's like but it's in the country uh-huh. yeah, yeah yeah it's like very quite rural got it got um, it because they were in a suburb or like a, an outcropping of San Luis so not even in the town proper got it got it and she so your mom moved here when she was like five mm-hmm. got it wow and where'd she move she moved to San Antonio Texas mm. uh, to Southside San Antonio um, and that's where she grew up her whole life is that she, what they call it Southside San Antonio yeah 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 that's cool San Antonio is the I have one friend from San Antonio shout outs Alexandra Castro <laughs> if you're listening uh, but I don't know very much about San Antonio other than the Spurs it's a really interesting place that we visited a lot when I was a kid, mm. um, mostly in a touristy way, which is another whole thing. Um, for, for the Alamo? No, for my family. Okay. Um, is the Alamo in San Antonio? Oh, did yeah. I just Yes, up? it is. No, oh, you did, you did very well. Thank God. Great job. God. You remembered it. I immediately I immediately was like, oh, did I just like <laughs> screw up basic American history? That's like the one imperative for American history is remember the Alamo. It's true. They really beat that into you. And you did it. And they you gloss over, you know, slavery. <laughs> yeah. But they're like, remember the Alamo. But remember. <laughs> uh, actually, my cousin's quince. The only quince I've ever been a part of, we went to go take pictures in front of the Alamo because it's there. Sure. Um, and she's in the beautiful white dress and all, however many, I think 15 of us probably, um, are in our like ill-fitting lavender dresses oh from God. the early 2000s. And this very gringo tourist woman walks up to my cousin Jenny, who is 15 years old, <laughs> and says, oh, are you getting married? And Jenny looked like she could have cut her in half with her eyes. It was incredible. <laughs> I wish I've never I've never even gone to a quince because I grew up in I grew up in suburban New York in a mad like white Jewish town. So I went to a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs, not a single quince. I've never gone to a bar and bat mitzvah, Mm -hmm. a regret that I have. Mm -hmm. But in Texas, we didn't. I now know that there are people I knew growing up who were Jewish. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it just wasn't talked about, which was troubling. Yeah. Um, My cousin's quince was one of the first moments I actually remember of feeling like, oh, I don't know who I am. Mm. I don't know what I am. Mm. I don't know what's happening mm. or why it's going this way. I was like 12. Yeah. So you're at peak, horrible, awkward. I was a torpedo-shaped child. <laughs> I Like some people go through a phase where they're like a little chubby or a little too thin. Like, a torpedo-shaped child? No, it's child. exactly like my head was the smallest point on my body and it made me a very good swimmer, um, <laughs> which is unfortunately not a joke. Um, but I was... There are these awful pictures that still exist of me with braces, just just the the most awkward year of my life at my cousin Jenny's quince. So we had to learn the dance that you do at the party. We went to the church. The whole service was in Spanish. Mm-hmm. My Spanish was and is garbage. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a Spanish word, so um, well I like I can understand like a good eighty percent of it's an accent I understand. So sure. like 
No, I feel you. I, it's, I'm well documented on the show that my Spanish is, but I'm super insecure in it. Yeah, and so we're we're listening to it, and we're supposed to say things and do things, and it's Catholic service, so it kind of makes sense. Um, and then we leave, we go take pictures, and the whole time, every other dama on the party is like super Mexican and mm. very visibly Mexican, and then there's me. So did people give you shit for it, or was it just an internal? Battle? It, I mean, it's always been predominantly internal yeah, uh, my same. grandmother has some really strong internalized um r- anti-hispanic racism that oh sure came out later oh yeah um, mine mine too it's it's a <laughs> my peruvian abuela is super racist love her to death fun trait she's that they the have she's super racist what what has she done uh, she just says stuff. Mm-hmm. She just says stuff. Uh, I, I don't really want to put her on blast necessarily, <laughs> but she's said many things about Chinese people that are unsavory. Oh, <laughs> um, and also, well, she, I don't know. Should I tell this story? Um, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to get mad at me. You know, the last time I was in Lima, I went, uh, my sister and I, it was just me and my sister who went. My sister and I went with uh, our tia and our abuela to this fish market mm-hmm. uh, in Lima. And we got there, and it's like mostly it's like on the pier. It's it's like poor and indigenous people who are like selling this stuff uh, mm-hmm. by the by the water, and my abuela like was like walking very close, like tight with me and my sister, and she had what I find like kind of to be like the most honest expression of prejudice or like ignorance that I've ever seen because oh, no. she she didn't like yell or scream or anything. She just turned to me and Esther, my sister, and very quietly, very honestly, was just like. These people scare me. Oh. <laughs> I, like I'm scared, and oh, I was like, well, "Okay, well, sure, that's ignorance, mm-hmm. but at least it's like honest. It's not because that fear, mm-hmm. I think, is at the bottom of a lot of racist mm-hmm. people." And she's 93 years old, yeah. and was just like, "Me da miedo esa gente," oh, no. <laughs> uh, and it was really awkward. Well, it's interesting because like, that has so much to do with colorism and like the history yeah. of, you it's know, real bad in colonialism and shit. Yeah. Uh, a brief, a brief detour. My. Uh, my nana, when she's met two uh, people I was dating, the guy I am with now who's lovely and who she has some interesting feelings about because he is <laughs> a quarter Mexican ah. because the first guy she met was six and a half feet tall, a very gringo biologist who so looked. she was into him. So as soon as, and this is not a joke, this is not a lie, it's a thing that had happened. Um, my grandma was still living in her own house in San Antonio at the time. And, like, chickens in the backyard, like, very Southside San Antonio. Yeah. And A.J. Horton walks in. A.J. Horton. hmm <laughs> And walks in, and my Nana sees him, and she knew she was going to be meeting someone I was dating. And she sees him visually with her eyeballs and immediately starts crying <laughs> and runs into her prayer room where she has, like, kind of an altar. thanks God for 20 yes. minutes. <laughs> so she thanks the Lord that I am dating this nice gringo boy. She comes yeah. out. She's still Who's weeping. very tall. Very tall, which is important. Yeah. Um, she's still weeping. And she starts – my grandmother has visions. And she's never been wrong except this time. Um, and she says, I see you. I see you in a wedding gown. And I'm just so happy for this tall blonde man oh who's God. here. And AJ spoke pretty decent Spanish. So he was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> this is a lot. I, we've been dating for like a month and a half. It's very intense. Yeah, yeah. There's There are some like racist fantasies that you sometimes need to let your your old ass grandparents yeah. have. That's hilarious. So he, he lived through that. He lived through a full... Uh, Extended. Shout out to AJ Horton. <laughs> <laughs> Naming um, real names. <laughs> yeah. Take no prisoners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so back to the Keen Seb. There was this moment that kind of crystallized 
the rest of, if not my alienation with like where I'm from, it just like it's a perfect encapsulated moment of like this is what it is. Um, we're at the quince. My family has cooked all the food. Like there's mole, which I still am very scared of eating because I feel like if I have a bad reaction to it, I'm gonna like out myself as an imposter. Okay. Um, do you have a bad reaction to it? Not that I know of. I've never actually oh, had okay. <laughs> You've never had mole? No, I know. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not I even know. Mexican. I've had like champurado and I, that was another humiliating moment as my grandma gave me champurado and uh-huh. I was supposed to drink it and enjoy it. Like it's basically hot chocolate. And I was like, great. And my little seven-year-old gringo palate was like, this is not hot chocolate oh, at yeah, all. Yeah. There's, um, I, it, I think it took me until last year to enjoy chicha morada, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a Peruvian, it's a drink. It's like a juice, but it's from um, purple maize. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's like a very, very sweet, like deep-ass purple liquid. And my entire life I've been pretending to like it because <laughs> my abuela loves it. It's oh. like a very Peruvian drink, and I fucking hate That's it. That's a nice <laughs> lie that you told. But the last, the last like two years I've finally been able to like, oh, this is fine. I, I enjoy this. this. This is cool. Did you? Do you think you like conditioned yourself into it, or is your palate just changing? I think my palate just changed because nice. that shit was nasty. I remember being a kid and being like, this is nasty. Yeah. And I like sweet stuff, but mm-hmm. this is this, this is another level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're at this quince. Yeah, sorry, I a keep bil- on oh, God, dragging us away. There's a billion people there. My mom is one of 13, and I don't have a relationship with most of them for a lot of reasons. Um, my mom, there are five different dads. Mm-hmm. My mom was part of the first batch. Um, I was the youngest of that group, and so she ended up raising a lot of her little siblings. But she also, like acculturated, moved away, didn't see them for a long time, so mm-hmm. I didn't know most of these people. And the damas are getting introduced and, like, being welcomed into the party by this announcer who has, like, the Mexican soccer announcer voice. Yeah, yeah. So there are all these, like, beautiful names flowing off of his tongue, uh, like Jennifer Contreras, and, like, holding out the thing. <laughs> and then they get to me, and what comes out of this man's mouth in the most humiliating moment of my 12-year-old torpedo-shaped life was... And now, Elizabeth Lincoln. And I could <laughs> have died. Oh, That's I was. Amazing. But it was the one name that, like, in my mind. Elizabeth is a, is a Spanish name. But I felt like I was going to, like, throw up on my shoes because it was this <laughs> moment of, like, yeah. everyone had these beautiful names that sounded like they belonged there. Yeah. And everyone looked like they belonged there and then there was me hey i my i went in for an audition right before the new year it was a it was a commercial audition Mm -hmm. a bilingual audition oh nice and i was there like they brought us in in threes it was just a quick like i think it was a voiceover or something they brought us in in threes and they were like who here i was it was me and two very like visibly Mm -hmm. latino guys Mm -hmm. like i i i didn't ask but i pegged them both as cuban uh, but they, but the the casting director was like, uh, okay, so who here who here speaks Spanish? And I was the only one who raised my <gasps> yep, hand. Yep, yep. So I was like, oh, this is so weird. Like this is so weird. And then mm-hmm. I read the thing in Spanish, and they were like, that's great, man. And I was Aww. like, what? I don't. <laughs> I like sometimes I don't know how to handle it. It's, the, it's such a strange feeling. And yeah. obviously, as I've said on the show many times before, like we are very white mm-hmm. <laughs> Latinos, and like, that comes with a ton of privilege. But it does come with a weird alienation from yeah. from the culture that we were raised in, I think. Yeah. Well, it's also, uh, my mom chose for a lot of reasons to raise me as I think as white as she could. So mm-hmm. she would just speak Spanish when she was either on the phone with family from San Antonio or if she w- I was in trouble. So that was like a, a real uh, conscious decision. She says it's not. Mm. I 
suspect it probably was for a lot of reasons. And something, uh, shouts out to my therapist, something I'm trying to work through is... What up? Shouts, shouts out to mine, to too. Every What's up, Sharon? How are you? Sharon. That's a great therapist. It's a perfect... Name. I call... It's literally what I call therapists. Like, did you see Sharon today? <laughs> did you see your Sharon? Um, but what I'm trying to work through is realizing and recognizing that my mom has enough really significant trauma associated with her growing up years and mm. with being Mexican and with... Drinking goat blood. Well, and like with what that meant in, you know, the late 60s, early 70s and the 80s in San Antonio. Shit, what it means now. Yeah. And so there was so much pain associated with that. Something I'm trying to work on is understanding and recognizing that there are these big gaps that will never be filled Hmm. because it is genuinely traumatizing to her to have to go back mentally. Hmm. Um, My grandmother is starting to get much older and she's starting to do this thing where she'll switch verb tenses and she doesn't know when she is. Mm. So I've gotten more information about my family in the past couple years than I've kind of ever had. Right. Because Nana is starting to lose the filter Mm. and to talk about it a little more. Yeah. Um, But it's been like as, as young as I can remember, like you, did you have to do a genealogy project when you were a kid? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think I did it like a family tree at some yeah, point. Yeah, like the poster board. And yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and they put the little yarn yeah. so that you can, yeah, I definitely Some asshole's always like, I came over on the Mayflower. Yeah, um, there's a, I grew up with a lot of those kids. Well, uh, for most people, it was just like, oh, our family's been here for a bunch of generations, but originally Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, That was pretty much everybody at my school. And we also had a lot of Asian students, so there was a lot of, like, Asian yarn, like the nice. yarn things. Uh, and I think I was one of a very few, like, ones that went down to South America. Mm-hmm. So there was this project we had to do at my very all-white school um, that uh, was – just family tree. How hard can it be? Mm-hmm. And I got to my Nana and her first husband, my grandfather. And then just, I know my mom gave me some details, but in my child brain, I was told a lot more detail than I think I actually was. And so I made up mm. potentially a very elaborate lie. But I look back on like, no, no, no. I had been told that. That was real. Isn't that funny how the brain works? Yeah. And so I filled this in with this like fantastical like what it meant to be from there. And mm. I don't think I presented any of it because I remember my mom getting on my case and being like, no, we don't talk about that. What you should talk about is the Lincoln side of the family. That's very interesting. Wow. And like so we it did... was a very like pronounced thing. Oh, we, we did Ancestry DNA as a family and I sent her my results and it was like, I mean, it's all garbage that she just created to sell her DNA to companies. But yep. um... Hey, I did it too. <laughs> Probably a mistake. <laughs> Uh, when we when we meet our clones, inevitably, we will know it was a mistake. Yeah, oof. Um, but she fixated on, like, I had a lot more indigenous heritage than even she suspected that I would. Mm. Um, and it was came out to, like, a solid 33% indigenous mm-hmm. and whatever percentage from, like, Spain and, um, like, other Basque regions. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, but look how Irish you are. Wow. So much German. Still, so and it was, still, like, a yeah. lower percentage than anything else. So my sister has a fun story about um, my mom potentially, again, she denies this, um, lying about her heritage when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, so her name originally was Argelia, which is like very old, very traditional. She hated it. So when she was naturalized, the story she tells is that um, she was, the guy was talking to her. He's like, well, you passed. You did the thing. So before we do the full paperwork, a lot of people choose this as a moment to change their names if they want. Uh, do you want to? And she panicked and said yes Mm. and said Karen with a C. And it was an impulse pick. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. So now she's she picked her name on impulse. Mm-hmm. That's she, now she's crazy. white lady Karen with a C. She looks she's very very light skinned. Uh, she was going to be named Blanca, and then she was born. They were like mm, that would be a mean joke. <laughs> so she looks very very white, but you can tell that there's something that's not quite fully gringo. Uh-huh. And so apparently one of the other moms at my very small school was like, Karen, what are you? Are you like Italian? And my sister swears she heard my mom go, yep, and just not address it any, anymore. Wow. Uh, this has been flatly denied Shots by Karen. fired at Karen. But, it, like, no Spanish in the house, really. Mm-hmm. There was a deep embarrassment and, like, always a huge tension going back to visit my mom's family. Mm. Like, my parents would actively fight the entire way to San Antonio. Wow. Yeah, and that, that wasn't the case when we'd go visit other families. So there was this conditioning from when I was really, really young that, like, my stomach would just start to hurt if I, like, poked at it at mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. which kept me away from it for a long time. Got it. That's interesting. I, I wonder how much of that has to do with the age your mom was when she moved here. I think that makes a big difference. Because my mom was older. My mom was, a like, early 20s mm-hmm. when she moved here, so I think she had more time to like actually grow up in yeah. her home culture. But yeah. since your mom moved so young, like I wonder if that had a role to do with it. She was in apparently like a almost 100% uh, Latino neighborhood. Mm. And so she she learned English in school gradually mm. with some help of like some really dope teachers. Yeah. Um, but she was, I mean, like the culture, like the neighborhood that she grew up in is like it 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 feels – like a lot of Texas does, actually, where it's like this This is other Mexico. This is slightly mm. different, yeah. but Spanish is the language that you speak. The culture is so, like, you deeply You know, like ingrained. the big swaths of this country that actually yeah. were Mexico. Yeah. When, <laughs> yep. The one thing you get when you get Texas history is you realize, man, a lot of us used to be Mexico. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So there was this, like, she grew up enmeshed in the culture, but she was always pretty smart. And she had some teachers really take the time. And so she... Married a white dude and went to college. Well, she married a Hispanic dude first, which I didn't know about until I was like, "Oh my god, yo!" I found out that mm-hmm. my mom married someone <gasps> uh, before had a first marriage. Isn't that funny? only like I think five years ago? Yeah, and, and I was just like, "Why didn't I know this?" And my mom, who's a total gangster, was, <laughs> I think she was like drinking a glass of wine, and she just turns to me and goes, "When would I? When would I have told you? When would have been a good time to Another have?" There is an icon. God, <laughs> I was just like, mm, "You're right." Fair point. You're right. Uh, when I was twelve, I found out that I had a secret sister, and because she Yeesh. showed up, yeah. Woo. So which. Has all worked out fine. I love her very much. Yes. Um, but she was the one who over brunch, when I was like 23, we were at brunch and I was like, yeah, so my mom finally told me. And she goes, oh, God, I'm so glad she finally told you about the first marriage. And I said, what? Uh, so when I found out about my sister, I apparently at the age of 12 walked out of my room, looked at my parents and said, so is there anything else you would like to tell me? And they wow. both went, nope. Wow. So I found out about marriage 1.0. And my mom said about why she divorced that guy, quote, he was boring, which I think is kind of (laughs) cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, he was boring. Especially for that time period to divorce someone just because, like, fuck this person. We're not into it. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of awesome. Um, Then she married a very, very white dude. And And Nana was happy. (laughs) Oh, I mean, Nana is still to this day. Well, it sounds like Nana has a lot to do with it. I mean, given the way she, I'm I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you, but like (laughs) given the way she reacted when you brought A.J. Horton home. Oh, yes. Like this seems to be a pattern. Well, yeah, like white men are the way out of poverty was the thing that we were always taught. Oh, isn't that fucked up? Yeah. I mean, my mom also married a white dude, um, but after marrying a Peruvian dude. Yeah, which is, it's 
very deeply sad that that's the case. I have one like shining icon of Latina feminism in my life, my mm-hmm. Aunt Lupita, mm-hmm. who has serially dated several very wealthy, older, and very attractive white men. Let's go, Lupita. And every time they try to lock it down, she's like, no, and she moves on. <laughs> That's amazing. So Nana's been frustrated for years. She's like, Lupita, why don't you just marry that nice boy who loves you so much? And she's, she's like, like, I'm living my life. Do? Yeah. That's amazing. She's happy. Shout outs to her. Yeah, she's incredible. <laughs> okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about let's talk about your childhood. <laughs> let's talk oh, about like, you growing up in Texas and what so how for you. I'm assuming, like, the given this tension, like, you weren't feeling super connected to the Mexican culture, but, like, what kind of school did you go to? What was mm. your social circle like? When did you start, uh, like, performing and stuff? Let's get mm. into that. Um, I went to an all-white school in a basically all-white town, by which I mean there were um, sections of town that were more Hispanic. And, like, in, in Central Texas, you grew up. And, and this that's is just... somewhere close to Austin? Yeah, yeah. So we are – oh, God, it's – um. The conservative hat of Austin, Round Rock, Texas. So that's what they call it, the conservative that's what, hat. That's kind of, of my Austin. like loving. What is it? So if it's like Canada's a northern America's suburb hat, that's yeah. not as like lefty. Oh, Got uh, it. Austin slogan is "Keep Austin Weird." And right. in retribution, Round Rock for a while was kicking around "Keep Round Rock Normal," <laughs> which sucks. <laughs> round Rock. That's mm-hmm. what a name. Uh, named for the large round stone that cattle drivers would see, sure, taking their cattle through and say, "Ah, we have reached the Round Rock. We know where we are." Sure. Um, this is like very white, very. Like, it, like there, we went to like the motto was literally keep Round Rock normal. It not the official one, but there was a but like, was like there were some understood. fun bumper stickers for a minute. Wow, um, that's heavy. Mm-hmm. That's really heavy. Uh, and it was like very small when I was first living there, and then Dell Computers came to town, mm. um, and it just blew up overnight. The one thing I think I'm lucky, especially living here where it's not as just like woven into the fabric of like mainstream society. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more Hispanic or Mexican culture than I knew at the time growing up. Like, Wada's Bakery was just a thing that everyone went to when we all did. Yeah. Um, but I was put into, I was in an all-white suburb, like a planned community mm. uh, that was very, very white. Um, I was in an, if not all, like 90% predominantly white uh, private school for 13 years. Ooh, damn. Private mm-hmm. school. Uh, private Baptist school. Oh shit! So were you was were your parents religious, or uh, you were just going to a Baptist? My mom school? is very religious. Okay, and she's Catholic. Got it. Uh, but was willing to send you to a Baptist school. I have questions about this also. <laughs> um, I have no idea why. Who I don't knows? want to say Catholic Karen. Um, she tried to put me in Catholic along. school once, uh, and I went and visited St. Mary's. Left and said, "Nope." Um, <laughs> yeah. Well common story with anything run by a Catholic people. Yeah. Um, and like we played them in volleyball at that point and I was like, I'm not, I'm not defecting. Got it. Um, so I was told by both sides because I was put through like Catholic, uh, like religious school mm-hmm. until we hit confirmation. And apparently I asked our bishop some really hard questions about why women couldn't be priests. Wow. And my RE teacher pulled my mom aside and said, we think this may not be for her. <laughs> Um, That's amazing. So I stopped being Catholic, but I was told by both sides until probably like the age of 13 that I was going to go to hell. Wow. Because the Baptists thought we were idolaters and mm. Catholics thought that they were heretics. Always here at La Mezcla, we're always in between. <laughs> <laughs> we're always in those in between spaces. That's um, awesome. So did you, uh, did you ever tell kids at school at all white Baptist private school that you were Mexican? Uh, I was I was just re-listening to your last episode that came out recently. Ah, um, shout out to Domenica. Yeah, and and what she was saying about um, how it it's kind of after 
college that it becomes really pronounced. Mm. That's been similar for me. Once same, I was same. Once I was in college, I got really lucky with like a group of very cognizant, kind human beings who kind of like loved me into existence and showed me a different way to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, Which did you go to school in Texas? Yeah, I went to a very small college in North Texas called uh, Austin College. Um, and one of the first times that I was identified as Hispanic or like I didn't realize how much of a chip on my shoulder I carried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends was making characters in a video game and he made all of the friend group and he made uh, me and he put me in, I think it was like, it wasn't the colors of the Mexican flag, but he was like, yeah, I made Lizzie Mexican because she is. And I felt, shout out Garrett Jones, I felt very deeply seen in a way that I didn't know Aww. mattered. Oh, that's really sweet. And it was sweet. just a dumb joke while people were like drinking and playing video games one night. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Literally any time that uh, Latino people like go out of their way to like make me feel included, I kind of lose my mind with gratitude. It's yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. So I I went through, until I was 18, I've, I felt extremely, I mean, I have lived my entire life as a white person. That is. Yeah, same. As a, and as like a, an Anglo gringo person mm. um, with just like the spots of connection to Mexico being really fraught with tension, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which sucks. Yeah. So when did you decide to move here? Right after college? Yeah. Uh, uh, my partner uh, was already living here and mm-hmm. I went for a semester to study. I was writing a thesis. And so I came here to live in New York during a horrible blizzard in January. Okay. And we're walking <laughs> from uh, the, the, the Seatown grocery, the 17 minutes back to his apartment to go cook dinner in a horrible blizzard. I didn't have gloves. My fingers were about to fall off. And I remember thinking, I don't hate this. <laughs> so I stayed. Wow. Um, and I've gotten really lucky with uh, a really fantastic community of people who, uh, this is not in a million years the life that my parents, specifically my mom, would have chosen for me mm-hmm. to be working. What do you think she would have chosen for Oh, you? I mean, I would have been a stay-at-home housewife, maybe. Really? I mean, maybe teaching school. That was so the like thought for a time. So like that traditional kind of like. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's the, <laughs> it's come up recently, uh, I, I just got engaged, which is fun. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, but there was this, the, the point of tension that's come back up is the expectation that you need a man or a partner, my mom is trying to be open-minded, to take care of you in some meaningful way. Mm. And that in a heteronormative relationship, it is the woman's job to like, or it's the man's job to be primary income and yeah, to, to provide. And yeah, whatnot, and then yeah. if you have a job that's cute and that's nice, so good for you, but... Not really important. And then my mom's back right. around like, you should have gone into politics. You should be a lawyer. You should be a professor, which is great. Great. But it's all those like big status things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom, the- she performed theater in high school. And then I've talked to her about it. And she's like, oh, I loved it. And my uh, my maternal grandmother is an excellent mimic. And she's very, very funny. Wow. Um, so it was in there somewhere. And unfortunately, I was the generation in which it came to fruition. Not unfortunate at all. I mean, Not to my mother, very unfortunate. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, from her perspective. I think I'm kind of the same way. There aren't very many. Maybe I'm, I haven't been filled in, but I don't really know of any other performers on either side of my family. Really? really? I don't know of any. So uh, the question that I maybe, have. Maybe like, people play music, though. That There's um... like a lot. There's like creative stuff going on, but like actors and stuff I don't know of anybody so I think my question is then do you have like a family storyteller or the person that everyone like kind of gives them an open mic slot at family reunions we don't have a lot of family reunions Mm, is the thing mm -hmm. my Peruvian family lives in Peru so we go down there you know around once a year and we see everybody but it's not a steady enough thing where I have like this guy Mm -hmm. is this and uh, this Theo is this uh and my my 
like Irish uh, American side of the family were not super cool with. Oh, no. <laughs> so I don't know. It's fine. I'm an adult. Yeah, <laughs> but yep. uh, but like uh, it's not. That's uh, always been another thing for me of like f- being literally geographically isolated. Yeah. From from the family that I'm close to, which is a dark thing to say, but who gives a shit? You're all you. you We're all here. You all know what this show is. My mom's friends. Um, I, the reason I ask is I just did a um a unit with a student about oral storytelling tradition. Oh um, yeah, which was very cool and another good excuse for me to look into that as kind of not an alternative. Which just to give the my mom's friends background, like what is this job? Oh, that you do? Um, so I got very lucky when I moved to the city and I applied for a job on Craigslist that I felt wildly underqualified for as a homeschool instructor doing Spanish two or three. Britlet and psychology, AP ah. Psych, and so you did end up kind of teaching. Yeah, yeah. So I, I that's how I pay my bills is teaching these wonderful tiny minds, and mm-hmm. I love them very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm lucky to have a good relationship with a lot of the families I work for that they're like, yeah, she can kind of do whatever she wants. We we understand that she gets our kid. And there's that's one nice. I've had for almost four years. He's just turned eight, so I've known him since he was very small, and. He's just a tiny genius who has, like, this relentless hunger for knowledge. So we did um, Percy Jackson, the Greek mythology books for yeah, young yeah, adults. Yeah. He's He started reading when he was, like, six. They're for, you know, 16 years. I loved Greek mythology when I was right? a kid. Loved it. Because it's stories. It's like a comic book. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So I made him read those, and he devoured them. And then the author, Rick Reardon, has been giving – uh, doing a like Rick Riordan Presents series to give the spotlight to mythologies from other cultures, mm. which is kick-ass. That's cool. That's dope. Yeah. And there was one uh, called Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky that interweaves African-American folklore with uh, traditional African uh, myth. Whoa. And Luke started reading it, and he came back to me, and he was like seven pages in, which is super unusual. He'd usually have finished it in the week that he had. He was like, I don't understand this. It's weird. Wow. And so I scaffolded it, and we did an oral storytelling unit, and it, it was like a, a news ELA, like printed it off the internet and found it, and it has some critical thinking questions at the end. And one of the things I asked him was, so uh, griots in African tradition, and one of the things the article talked a lot about are like these appointed storytellers the, who like- uh, The griot, yeah. I've yeah, yeah, who like carry the narrative forward. And he said, oh, so it's writing, but speaking. And I was like, well, yes, that was the original, the original how, writing how was speaking. How old is this kid? He's eight. Yeah, that's a fine question. Yeah. And so we started reading it. I didn't know what a, it's griot, that's how it's pronounced? Uh, I thought it was griot, but I, I didn't know what that was until a year ago. Yeah. So he's way ahead of I've me. I've only ever heard it read, or uh, seen it read. Um, but we talked about the way that uh, it was weird or different to him. And he said, well... I think it is strange to me because I am not African-American. I said, well, you're not Greek either. Mm. And he kind of thought about that for a minute. <laughs> for a long time, yeah. And we talked about like, well, Greek culture has been, like Greek mythology specifically, has been enmeshed in just like who we are. Why do you think this one is different? Why do you think we don't have these stories that are like as deeply? And he thought about it. He said, because for a long time, these people were not telling the stories on paper. That is what I learned. I was like, you're right. <laughs> Very good. Aww. He's the love That's of my really, life. You're really making a difference. I mean, he's also the kind of kid who looked at a book I was teaching for a homeschool high schooler. And it was Salem 1692, The Witch Trials, A History. And he was like five. Mm. And he read the whole thing and said, hmm, but how can it be a history if witches aren't real? And the critical processing <laughs> in that moment scared the hell out of me. That's amazing. No, a couple of the kids that I teach acting classes for mm-hmm. kids, I don't teach real things because I don't know real things. That, but, that's real. <laughs> uh, 
you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't teach academic there things. There it is. Of course, I literally spend my entire life on acting. Of course, I think it's real. Uh, but a couple, we have a few homeschooled kids, and they're, by and large, incredibly smart yeah. and, like, really inquisitive. Yeah, this one's at a uh, traditional all-boys school, but mm-hmm. we we do once a week stuff just because his parents were like, we're worried he may not have emotional intelligence. We're worried he may he may wow. have some trouble processing Good with others. Them. So. So we, we really haven't talked creative stuff at all. Mm. When did you start, like, performing or, or writing or curating mm-hmm. or whatever? Like, did that happen young or did it happen later? Uh, there was a mandatory theater class in sixth grade that I was forced a to take. mandatory theater class? Yeah, right? Yo, Strangely I progressive. Wish I, I wish I had that shit. Mm-hmm. I, the only reason I do theater is because my, my immigrant mom literally dragged me to a Which class. I think is amazing. Physically dragged me. <laughs> uh, in sixth grade, we had a mandatory theater class. And... At this, like, there were, like, what, 23 kids in my graduating class, 30 max. Mm. And so it was small. Everyone had to take it. Yeah. And I was a pretty quiet kid. I was very much shy at school, much more at ease with adults. Yeah. Um, and we were forced to take it. And so I did it. And I hated every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Same. I hated my first uh-huh. class, too. And then there was a moment we were doing, quote, unquote, improv, which I now recognize as, like, that's not what that is. Sure. But okay. Sure. Um, and I said something. And I was playing a grandmother. And people laughed. Oh, yeah. And that was that good drug. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. It's better so, than any drug. Oh, it's amazing. So I said something else, and it did not get a laugh. And I went, mm, noted. Okay, I understand. <laughs> um, and so I went, but I kept signing up. And every year, I would feel like I didn't belong there, like I wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't for me. Mm. And then I was just around long enough that it kind of clicked. Mm. So I went to college for education originally. And then uh, there's this amazing program with really loving people, not high tech, not high. I mean, it doesn't really have a a large profile reputation, but it was full of the most loving risk taking. Like theater was just a laboratory for ideas, which was very cool. And so I called my parents and said, I think I want to become a theater major. My dad said, well, to do that, you have to join the improv troupe because he'd seen them. He thought they were hilarious. And he also knew I would never do it because I'd be too scared. Wow. So I did it. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, That's amazing. And that became So you did like short form stuff? It was all actually uh, very long form. Oh, amazing. We did like eight hour improvathons Whoa. by the end of. Did you do forms? Like did you do Heralds yeah, and stuff? Yeah, uh, the, whole, the whole gamut. Uh, Heralds, Armando's, Lindbergh, like anything. That's pretty rare for a college group. Yeah. Most college, like at my college, all the improv, they would like try to do long form every so often. It would be horrible. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's but hard. It's mostly short form games. So was this just like I was full of a bunch of nurturant, lovely people, and we shared a brain space, and we made stories together, and it was like very empowering. That's amazing. Yeah. So was part of the moving to New York thing to do more of that? Initially, yeah. Uh, I I wanted to come here to be an actor, and then mm-hmm. I had a few crystallizing moments. I, I worked at a Ren Faire for a summer as oh, cool. a <laughs> – That tracks. Immers- I feel like that yeah, fits you. I don't does. even know you that well, but I feel like that tracks. Uh, but I worked at, as an immersive – like you improvise eight to ten hours a day in period dialect in costumes in the Got goddamn it. hot. Got it. And I loved it. And they I met... do a Ren Fair. They just did one recently up mm-hmm. by where I live in Inwood. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I know some of the people that played your played your fest. <laughs> Rennies are close. Um, Rennies. Rennies. Oh my god. The Rennies I are. I love it. A shockingly progressive and very like collective group. They're. Wow. If you ever wanted to like truly institute nationalized healthcare, the Rennies are ready to help. <laughs> okay, um, sure. I'll, well, like, I'll call Bernie Sanders. Well, it's like the most <laughs> communist form of living I had ever encountered because you're living above the booths for a summer. Wow. So you get to know each other really, really yeah. well. Um, and then this guy, uh, Frank Cardello, was a pretty seasoned performer. 
He came up, he played a weekend, we vibed, he was really nice, and then he gave me a call and I was back in the city out of the fucking blue and said, uh, I have this space downtown once a month and my wife's about to have a baby. I can't use it anymore. Do you want it? You seem like you do something with it. And I impulsively said yes. Wow. And so uh, I started my first foray into what I now recognize to be some semblance of producing. And really, How long ago was this? It was right before the 2016 election, I think we started okay wow so this was yeah, like this September. was like a commercial space or it was like a uh, it's at the crane theater downtown oh mm-hmm. so that's how you got uh, into the crane mm-hmm. got it okay it was okay. the goodwill of one human who figured i might do something with it that's amazing yeah and i had this crystallizing moment of like originally it was the hope that like i'll meet writers that i know and we'll right. work together and i'll be in the thing right and then i realized that the the greatest joy i have ever encountered and kind of what i'd been searching for through like even like in high school, um, I got to be in charge of the middle school theater program for a hot second because our <laughs> director was out sick. Um, so she was there in in body, but I was in charge. Um, and like the active community was always kind of what really knocked my socks off. Yeah. And so the, the times that mean the most are like when I'm walking home at, you know, midnight 30 on a Wednesday after the show, a little drunk mm-hmm. and just filled with overwhelming joy that these people have gotten to do a thing. It's a great feeling. It's a really great feeling. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about the live version of this show. We just did one yes, this did. past Friday. Shout out to everybody who came. Um, and that feeling, because I'm hosting the show. It's mm-hmm. not really, I do bits, but it's not like I'm doing my set at yeah. this thing. Um, so I like I always I I always leave the venue like with that exact feeling of like oh this feels so good yeah. just like putting people together and like mm-hmm. letting everybody appreciate each other it's a really yeah. nice feeling being the connector yeah I think that's also an impulse that I I, I think our generation has largely while we see like moves towards collectivism mm-hmm. politically mm-hmm. but it's also that like we only have so much and when you get a lucky shot the only thing you can do and something I think may come from. My dad's side to an extent, but also my mom is that lift as you climb mentality Mm. that if one of us gets a break, we have to bring everybody. Everybody loads in the car and you got to go. That's good. Not everybody gets instilled with that. Yeah. There's a lot of crabs in a bucket out here. Yeah. So I I got really lucky with the slot and we've been producing since. Yeah. Tell uh, Intro your show. Mm. Um, The Paper Crane is a new works and development night. The idea being if you need eyeballs on your thing to make it grow, Mm -hmm. then Give us give us your set anywhere from four to twenty five minutes, and we've had some really lovely pieces. Wow, up to twenty five. We've crazy. had twenty five. It's usually uh, if we have like a featured writer slot that we're working in like a more intensive development capacity. Got it. Um, so you're so you take open submissions, right? Uh, yeah. But do you also have people that you're like more long term developing their stuff? We've had people who we know that'll like come back and retest. Um, like we've had the clown group Soul Potato back twice, partially Soul because potato. I'm obsessed. Soul Potato, the funniest thing I've ever. I love that. Their name was originally Frederick Gregor and Kuchin present a Halloween spectacular, and then they texted me the day of the show and said, "Can we change it to Soul Potato?" And I said, "Sure." Um, <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So we've seen people come back, and like writers especially come back to test new stuff, which is very cool. That's great. Um, but it's been like one of the greatest joys of my life to just watch that happen. I've been again really lucky to be part of the downtown scene. Like I think I know. You actually via like Diane Chen and Charlotte. Yes, Arnaud, shout out two very good friends. Wonderful of the show. humans um, who have been part Diane of. Diane was on the first uh, yes. live La Mescla. Yeah, I loved Diane's episode of the podcast. Also, it oh, was, they're the best. Oh my god, they're so the best. wonderful. Yeah, um, 
but it was that same, like, I, it's been a journey of deprogramming a lot of what I've learned. And those are two humans who have stood for this, like, I look back at the first ep- episode of Paper Crane or like the first gig we did. And it Which was, was in 2016? Yeah, it was like September 2016. Wow, so you've been doing it a solid like yeah. three years. That's amazing. We've gotten lucky. Um, and it was just so white and and so so deeply unrepentantly white. Hmm. And that wasn't something that I, even though I'd kind of started dipping into stuff for my own purposes, it didn't occur to me. Hmm. And I have been so fortunate to have a community around me that is actively engaged in really intense dialogue that I have had to get my shit together and grow up and learn more and engage. So we've been working towards understanding what it means to have, like, we've been lucky to have a spot for three years. Yeah, that's really What does it mean to, like, try to share that in a productive and effective manner? Mm. It's been cool. I I love producing is the thing I think I I found it. I found the thing that I wanted to do. That's amazing. Secretly. So are you, do you have a, a company or is, or is it just Paper Crane is just its own entity? Paper Crane is its own entity. And then I've gotten lucky to work on a couple projects with and for friends kind of through their institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you do the thing where you're like, this isn't real. I'm just kind of goofing around and this is half a thing that I'm doing until someone finally sits you down and goes, no, no, you're you're doing the thing. The thing is happening and you should formalize that the thing is happening. Yeah, that was kind of like what happened with this podcast. I mean, I I started with like a $50 USB mic sitting in my bedroom with Mm -hmm. people and I just posted it on SoundCloud. And I was like, oh, it's just a thing I do. And eventually people were like, I like that show that you're doing. The podcast you (laughs) have, you know. And I was like, oh yeah, I do do that. (laughs) I should continue doing that. Yeah. So it's that's where I, I found I'm really happy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yo, independent theater people, submit your stuff or like link up God, with please Lizzie let me, and let her let me give your you show. A, let me do a thing. Yeah. I would love to help. Um, I know tons of I I get you know, Instagram messages from people who are like, I want to like put up my thing. How do I do that? Oh well, yeah. <laughs> it's also like I uh, the the subtitle of my biography I think is going to be uh, I don't know how to help, but I'm happy to be here. And then you just kind of figure it out. I like that. Um, I don't know how to help, but I'm happy to be here. That's funny. It's honest. Well, because it's also the like, I have been really, I've just stumbled into one thing after another and yeah. no one's kicked me out yet. Yeah. And sometimes people seem happy that I'm there. Um, That's kind of how I feel too. Yeah. Which it's that sense of acceptance and community and like found family is really, really something I'm like deeply passionate about that. the end of Little Women a problematically white film but a good film nonetheless still haven't seen it oh, it's as a book nerd as a kid I have a lot of strong feelings I have, the last couple of weeks I was in pure show promo mode so I yes. haven't really been watching or like keeping up and you've up survived with now yes I'm alive thank the lord you did it you were great <laughs> thank you um, but it was this the end of the, the film is just Joe surrounded by this like beautiful family that she has and also that she's made and there are children running around and people she's acquired mm-hmm. over the course of her life and everyone loves each other and it doesn't matter if you're biologically tied yeah, everyone's the, just the ad hoc here. family is, a, is yeah. a beautiful thing and I was watching it with my 12 year old niece just just bawling <laughs> and she's like what is wrong with you like it's just about family and you don't know yet but you will soon <laughs> amazing um, so you uh, are there any? Oh, the Oscars came out today. I, yeah, I briefly glanced at them uh, this morning while I was running late for this for, the, for this session. Thoughts, feelings, hot takes. Uh, I saw yeah because I'll release this this week, so it'll still be it'll still be topical. Um, I I don't understand why Joker has the number of nominations it does. Yep, I saw it. I didn't hate it. I was just like, this movie is not. This movie is 
too boring to be as polarizing as it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it doesn't make me angry in either direction that people are being <laughs> angry. It's just kind of not that good. And it's, yeah. if here's my take on that movie. Here's my take on Joker, everyone. If this Wha- is now Adrian's if movie Wha- podcast. If Joaquin Phoenix is not in that movie, it is unwatchable yes. dog shit. He is elevating a really like mediocre, not film. great script. Yes. Uh, so I really think he's like what's making that engine go, and it's yeah. uh, I don't know, it's whatever. I don't I don't put a lot of stock in award shows. Yeah, I haven't. We? I haven't since I was uh, like in high school. Really, I was like, this is nonsense. This, this is garbage. <laughs> this is really nonsense. Um, one of the students I teach that I've also had for a while. Uh, we do like composition and writing stuff together, but I've had him since he was like a young squishy human who loved school and was very into it, mm-hmm. and now he's a kind of angry. Middle school kid. What's up? Yeah. Well, I mean, middle school sucks. Everyone's angry and it's all bad. It's true. But he's also a young cishet white male Mm -hmm. who is, his parents are lovely people, but they don't understand the reach that the internet is having in their kid's life. Mm. Um, And so he has said some like really fucked up Gamergate shit. Yeah. Like comics gate. And he's very deeply involved in like the alt-right is hunting him and he's falling victim. So that's who they're targeting. Yeah, so at one point Joker like young, came up. Young teenage YouTube-obsessed boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I teach a lot of them too. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And he brought up Joker, and then he had this moment of like, well, you're a lady, and I know that you're Mexican, so you probably don't want to hear this. And I was like, <laughs> no, Holy please. Shit. Do How tell. old is he? He's like 12 or something? 12 or 13, yeah. Yeah. Oof. So we got into a pretty spicy argument, and I let his parents know. I was like, hey, by the way, he's regurgitating information from these four people who would, were kicked off of Twitter. Um, <laughs> I let them know, and he saw me the next week, and he didn't apologize, but at the end of class, he did say, oh, and by the way, this is a comic with a really good queer love story that's interracial, and I think you would like it. Bye. Uh, I'm sure. I hope his parents are, are giving it to him. They're trying, but it's yeah. also like, yeah, the movie is too boring to be polarizing, but yeah, if just... you make everything a controversial political statement, the lesson is you'll get too much attention, <laughs> even if it's a bad piece of art. What a beautiful lesson for us to learn. It's not sad. That's probably... <laughs> That's more true than we want it to be. So we're we're winding down on time. Mm-hmm. Um, is there is there anything else you want to touch on that we haven't talked about? I think I think that's I I Great. have listened to a lot of backlogs of episodes and something Domenica talked about that I kind of also wanted to bring up again is like yeah, hey yeah. as another human who has lived through an eating disorder that we don't talk about who mm. was encouraged to have an Anglo body when my mom once looked at me and said. Mm, you didn't inherit the Mexican curves, but you are going to carry all your weight in your stomach because that's how we are. And I was like, well, thank you wow. for telling me that all of the bad things come from this culture that I'm deeply wow. trying to connect with. Yeah. Wow. yeah. There is so much ingrained, like Anglo-Saxon beauty standard, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with my Peruvian family. There's always a lot of comments on weight and body. I and, was listening to you say that. That's fucked up. Yeah. 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 That's also the idea that like young men don't struggle with. Or like men, period. All genders oh, don't for, struggle with body issues. I for sure have had body image stuff oh, yeah. like my whole life pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. something that like I listened to that and was crying gently on the train. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for giving – like that's the big thing. Oh, is, sure. That was all Dominica. Like that. <laughs> but still like you have created a a thing that when Charlotte and Diane were both like, oh, you got to listen to La Mezcla. I listened to it and I have never – there's always a certain amount of fear or like anxiety that just like lodges in my chest hmm. when I think about taking ownership of my heritage or trying to figure it out or like fucking signing up for Spanish classes again or doing anything. It makes me feel so nervous because I feel like if I reach for it, there's someone who's going to slap my hand away hmm. because like you're not allowed. This isn't for you. 
And then I recognize that that's just that's just me. That's me slapping my hand away. Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm still trying to learn for myself, even after yeah. close to two years of doing this show. So thank you for making a thing that oh, has made me cry so it. But it's beautiful. Oh, you it. did great. Thank you. I know you don't I'm, like compliments. This I'm is one thing I know ter- Shout outs to Sharon. I'm terrible at taking compliments. <laughs> We're working on it. Uh, no, thank you so much. That's really nice. It, uh, as I always say, it means a lot to me that anybody knows this, A, knows this show exists, and B, appreciates it. It's awesome. And people are out there hyping it up. That's great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I cannot re- I cannot react like a human being to nice compliments. I feel that. <laughs> it's hard. Oh, God. Oh, this got weird. No, uh, it's not weird. It's just real. I also yeah. feel like there are people who are going to hear that and be like, yep, same. Me too. No, definitely. It's, uh, most of my friends are that way. What do you think about starting a podcast in which people just sit across the room from each other and have to compliment each other aggressively but honestly and we just have to take it? It sounds horrifying. <laughs> it sounds horrifying. There are like – I'm weirdly into the rap battle world. Yes. I'm weirdly like I have I'm pretty into the rap battle leagues Excellent. that are around, but they they sometimes as a joke do mm-hmm. compliment battles mm-hmm. and they're kind of hilarious. They're my favorite thing. I feel like relentless and aggressive positivity is the only thing that's going to yeah. get us through. Yeah, you know the but, world generally. Yeah. Whereas the rap battles that I normally watch and am into are oh, like yeah. they say the most horrific things you could ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> kind of an artful bard-like thing, though, as opposed to oh, for necessarily sure. sincere. It's, no, yeah, yeah, it's I consider it craft. Oh yeah, like, it's craft. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking about rap battles. <laughs> we should wrap this up. Uh, so plug Paper Crane one more time. Like, when's the next one? Yeah, our ni- our series is coming back in February. We have semi-monthly shows. Um, our first uh, February show, the theme is TBD, and the uh, nonprofit that all the ticket sales and past hat are going to benefit is also TBD. Uh, and then we're going to be back in uh, for a couple different months, and then May is our Femme Brulee, so Femme and Non-Binary. Femme Brulee. Femme Brulee. Shout out Cameron Jeffs for coming up with the greatest name for a month That's of all awesome. time. Where can people find info for your shows? Uh, you can go to papercrane.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, at Paper Crane Productions. We would love to see you there. We Amazing. would love for you to apply with your new thing that needs people to put eyeballs on it. Yeah, do that. Everybody Truly, should please. do that. I should do that, too. You, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot to last time. <laughs> uh, great. Lizzie, thank you so much for coming in. Thank this is a this. total pleasure. Uh, thanks. Thanks for this thing. Great. Say say something mm-hmm. funny. Oh. Oh, that's too much <laughs> pressure. <laughs> this is, I like to freak everyone out right at the end. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to give a person. In Just say a word. Just say a word. Processing. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. <laughs> I got a long way to go, but as far as I know, I'm gonna stay on this road. And that's it for this week's episode of La Mescla. Thank you so much to Lizzie Lincoln for coming in. Thank you to Ad Large Studios uh, and Authentic Literary and Talent Management, specifically Carly Hogendyke, for hooking the show up with this studio. Uh, thank you to everybody who's listening to this. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can also do so on Spotify. And just spread the word to your friends. We're going to have another uh, super cool live show coming up at Caveat in March, which I will announce very soon. Uh, and follow the show on Instagram and on Facebook. And in general, support uh, immigrant families and be nice to mixed people and try to get to know them. Try to have conversations with them like we do on this show. Uh, as always, the outro uh, is incredibly unplanned and will just go on far too long until I self-consciously decide to end it, which is now. Okay, have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye.
Anota aí, eu só quero ser feliz Morrendo tendo orgulho das coisas boas que eu fiz And of all that I know, for all that I live Love and loyalty is as real as it gets Put your L's up in the air like this